Good day, and thank you for listening to the Jeff Casello program. Today, Saturday, July 29th, and uh, wanted to share a couple things with you. A little bit of uh, offbeat humor and uh, a few interesting thoughts. I came across this on the price of children. And I know that each of you that do have children or potentially will have children will really enjoy this. This goes back a few years, but it begins with saying that it's just too good not to pass on to all. Something absolutely positive for a change. Isn't that wonderful? We need some positivity. I have repeatedly seen the breakdown of the cost of raising a child, but this is the first time I've seen the rewards listed this way. It's very nice. The government recently calculated the cost of raising a child from birth, and this was a few years ago, so it's gone up. Now, this is up to 18, and it's come up to uh, $160,140 for a middle-income family. Gee, I wonder what that is nowadays, a middle-income family. See either the rich or the poor. Talk about sticker shock. That doesn't even touch the college uh, tuition. But $160,140 isn't so bad if you break it down. So let's begin to translate it. Approximately $9,000 a year. uh, Approximately $741 a month or $171 a week. That's a mere $24.24 a day, or just over a dollar an hour. Still, you might think the best financial advice is don't have children if you want to be rich, quote unquote. But when you think about it, it's just the opposite. So what do you get for $160,000 and a $160,140. All right. First off, naming rights. First, middle, and last. Glimpses of God every day. The Creator. Giggles under the covers every night. More love than your heart can hold. Butterfly kisses and Velcro hugs. Endless wonder over rocks, ants, clouds, and warm cookies. A hand to hold covered with jelly or chocolate. A partner for blowing bubbles and flying kites. Someone to laugh yourself silly with no matter what the boss said or how your stocks performed that day. You know, for $160,140, you never have to grow up. You get finger paint, carve pumpkins, play hide and seek, catch lightning bugs, and never stop believing in Santa Claus. You have an excuse to keep reading the adventures of Piglet and Pooh. 
watching Saturday morning cartoons, going to Disney movies, and wishing on stars. You get to frame rainbows, hearts, and flowers under refrigerator magnets and collect spray-painted noodle wreaths and for Christmas, handprints set in clay for Mother's Day, and cards with backwards letters for Father's Day. For $160,140, this is no greater bang for your buck. You get to be a hero, a real hero, just for retrieving a Frisbee off the garage roof, taking the training wheels off a bike, removing a splinter, filling a wading pool, coaxing a wad of gum out of bangs, and coaching a baseball team that never wins but always gets treated to ice cream regardless. What do you get? You get a front row seat to history. And with the history, you get to witness the very first step, the first word, the first broad and the first eight, and the first time behind the wheel. You get to be immortal. You get another branch added to your family tree. And if you're lucky, a long list of limbs in your obituary called grandchildren and great-grandchildren. You get an education or an education in psychology, in nursing, in criminal justice, in communications, and human sexuality that no college can match. In the eyes of a child, you rank right up there under God. You have all the power to heal a boo-boo, scare away the monsters under the bed, patch a broken heart, police a slumber party, ground them forever, and love them without limits. So, one day, they will, like you, love without counting the cost. That is quite a deal for the price. I think that's so well put, love without counting the cost. This would be a wonderful time to take a moment to thank God for your children and your grandchildren. to think of all the wonderful times that you spent with them and all the wonderful times you will spend with them for the blessings that you've been given. And it is quite a blessing. Yes, it is quite a responsibility, but it is a blessing. And no matter what they do, how hard it is, you love them unconditionally, faithfully, And I'm so proud to say that you're their father or their mother or both.
in a world where we have so much discontent, so many families that split. It is wonderful, so wonderful, to see that we have the blessings of children. And when marriages get tough, when God puts you to the test, you both, and he will do that continuously in your marriage. Be thankful for your wife or your husband in all that they do. And pray to God for the wisdom that you need to always make this work. Especially if you have children watching every move that you make. That's the price of children. That's the price of parenting. That's the price of love. Utilize the time, the talents, and the efforts that you have. And I guarantee you, you will be blessed thoroughly throughout your life. Well, I hope you certainly enjoyed the uh, children, the cost of children. It was quite enjoyable and uh, really makes you think. So let's now turn to the Bible lesson. So if you would, please turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 14. I'll be reading out of the NIV. Uh, I've uh, constantly referred to this chapter as one of the most important chapters in the book uh, of not only Deuteronomy, but in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. Uh, just a general thought is, as many times pastors will pass over the Old Testament for the New Testament. And again, uh, it's my belief that you include all the Bible, not just parts, but all the Bible, because they all work as one. And it's just like putting a puzzle together. Uh, you can get right down to that very last piece. And if you don't have it, your puzzle is incomplete. This particular chapter is so relevant in today's time. And to me, it should be expounded upon in our pulpits. So I'll give you my thoughts. And uh, also, uh, I want to supply some thoughts from another pastor who did a similar uh what I call a summary on this and provide you his thoughts so we can put it together. And uh, as we work in the next through uh, next few lessons, we will break down each uh, list of verses and uh, hopefully provide some valuable insight on uh, Deuteronomy 28. Well, to set the stage, the Israelites, like all people in us, are stiff-necked. They're uh, not humble. Don't really pray. They're not seeking to be more uh, Christian-like, more God-like, or seeking God himself. And what has happened, they've turned to their wicked ways. So this is what it begins with. This is what God says. 
if you fully, not partially, not a little bit, not most of the way, fully, F-U-L-L-Y, fully, obey the Lord your God and carefully, carefully now, follow all his commandments. And I emphasize the word carefully. I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. This was back in the time of the Israelites. Now let's put it into perspective here in the United States, for example. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather have the blessings than the curses that this chapter talks about. And we'll get into that. He says, you will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your land and the young of your livestock. The calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trowel will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction but flee from you in seven. We'll stop there at uh, verses one through seven, and then we'll go through up to 14. So as you can see, the people would be blessed. They'd be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. They would re be receiving the fruits that God has given them. They would be the nation where everyone would flock into because of the blessings and because they followed the commandments of God. So interesting. We have thousands of laws and we can't even follow the, the Ten Commandments. That's what kind of mess we're presently in. Ten simple commandments. And yet, we don't follow them whatsoever. Do we carefully follow the commandments? Not at all. So, just like a child that doesn't follow what his mother or father says and does the opposite, then they must be punished. So must be the people. So, when you receive the blessing, you receive the fruit of the womb. You will have plenty of food, plenty of water, plenty of resources. And not only will you have that, but you will have a lack of sickness, a lack of ill health. Not the necessary needs for medical. Because your food will be so rich and so good and so blessed by God that these things will go away. Now think about it, when the uh, Israelites were walking through 
for 40 years out in the wilderness, did their clothes get torn up, their shoes torn up? It's truly amazing. So the Lord says that you'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. In other words, you're going to be a people that other people will want to be. You'll be blessed above all else. What a wonderful thought. And the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. Very strange after World War II, the amount of wars, conflicts that we've had, where one must think about, were the enemies who rose up against us, were they defeated before us, or did we just leave? See, again, as I've said in the past, the United States of America should be a battle axe for God. Should be. And those countries like Russia, who are against Christians, China, against Christians, North Korea, Iran and Iraq, all false religions, and that's what they are. They have no fear for the United States of America. And truly no fear for God. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. Again, here we have gotten in America. Land of the free, home of the brave. Songs that we used to sing as children concerning America. Thy country, tis of thee. where wheat would flow generously, where, where grains would grow, where food would grow. In fact, we would be the breadbasket of the world. That in past terms. Plenty of meat. Plenty of food. And prices that poor, as well as medium, as well as rich, could all afford and eat without starvation. These are not things that, that God uh, has taken away from those that can't eat because he will always provide. This is what man has done in their many laws and truthfully in their foolishness. 
the Lord will, the Lord your God will bless you in the land he is giving you. And again, I emphasize the Lord your God as one. The Lord will establish you as his holy people. As he promised you on oath, if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will fear you. And I have to believe when he says they will fear you means that they'll want to come here. And rightfully so. Just look at the blessings. The Lord will grant you abundant property or prosperity, excuse me. The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your ground in the land he swore to your forefathers to give to you. So again, abundant prosperity means for all those willing to work, willing to do what is right in God's ways, willing to help his neighbor out of generosity and help, and willing to do what God says. Prosperity will be abundant. In fact, it'll be wonderful. The Lord will open up the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land and season and to bless all the work of your hands. Think about that. We're experiencing severe droughts, severe heat, severe rain where it rains in one area and is completely dry and barren in others. Rain on one side of the street, not on the other. Rain in the Northeast presently, but no relief periods in the Southwest. Oppressive heat. And in the middle of our country, also oppressive heat. Crops burning up. Fertilizer going up. Where will it end? And it says, you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. The Lord will make you the head, not the tail. If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will Always be at the top, never at the bottom. So again, think about it. Who's, who's the head and who's the tail in the world? Who's the lender? And who's the borrower? The, the United States of America has become the borrower. The amount of debt is staggering. The amount of goods that we buy from China is enormous. 
the amount of, ma of manufacturing here in the United States is very little. And we have those that teach otherwise. All you have to do is read, very simply read, and you will find that most of our manufacturing is done in other countries and not here. And as the Bible says, we become the tail, not the head. We become the bottom and not the top. Yes, a wonderful and great country. One that has very basically gone from the top of the heap to the bottom of the hill. And why? Because we, as a people, have not followed the commands of God. Just that simple. How can you bless a country and its people if they kick you out? Kick you out of schools, kick you out of public domain, just kick you out in general. God's a gentleman. He's standing over there in the corner. And that's where, unfortunately, we have those that have put, in the, put him in the corner. Instead of being at the forefront, he's in the corner. So we'll finish this on verse 14. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today, to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Very simply put, whether they be gods or idols, unfortunately, that's what takes up a lot of man's time. Going to the right or to the left. We have a great amount of things that are taking up our time today. We have minority groups that basically gather more of our time and are dictating our rules. We are now in a society where right is wrong and wrong is right. And yet we as many Christians are silent. I have to believe that at some point in time that God is like he is always throughout his time in the prophets to have a prophet to stand, to take the heat and to move forward and to say what's right and what's wrong. I admire men like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who didn't bow to Nebuchadnezzar and to the gold idols and stood knowing that God would deliver them. And if, as they said, if they were to die, they were to die, but they were dying for a cause. And yet God delivered them. And you saw what Nebuchadnezzar did. It's my prayer that God brings up 
a prophet in the same way for Americans, not just to see, but to change their ways. So that's verses 1 through 14. I hope you enjoyed the Bible lesson. And now we'll very much turn to the economic portion of the lesson next. Stand by and thanks for listening to the Jeff Casello program. From the economic standpoint, I want you to be the judge. Because I want to do a series that I wrote back a couple of years ago concerning the 1920s depression. I did an awful lot of research on the 20s depression, how it began, how it started, up to where we are today. It also included what God had to say biblically because he speaks a good bit in the way of economics. And let you be the judge on the current surroundings that we have here in the United States. And I think it will be best to value your thoughts on this all-important subject that affects us on a daily basis. Now, this was written back on uh, March the 19th, 2021. And as I wrote, it says, this topic was chosen for history repeats itself. And it's my thought that we'll soon feel the effects of the next catastrophe in the United States. I don't know about you, but Another article just came on uh, the the U.S. news where gas is on its way up. (laughs) Excuse me. Food is on its way up. Interest prices on their way up. Wages can't say the same. So this is a very bold statement, and we'll examine the facts before you make the conclusion. The ramifications of this depression will send shockwaves throughout the world. Fellow Christian, let me tell you a story about a catastrophe that affected the whole world, and you draw your thoughts. So let's go back in time. Let's go back to the Roaring Twenties where Wall Street was booming. Babe Ruth and the Yankees were the champs of baseball. Movies and movie stars were the talk of the town. Authors such as F. Scott Fitzgerald, Eugene O'Neill, were coming onto the scene, and the flappers were dancing to Charleston. You know, it really was a gay old time, sneaking around in back rooms trying to avoid prohibition with illegal booze and backdoor business deals. It was also the time to celebrate the first great world war for that was over. And the United States, they were a industrial manufacturing machine. President Wilson had guided the American people 
throughout the First World War. And he finished to give way to Warren G. Harding. Mr. Harding would only be in office for two years before dying from a heart attack. But in all the booming, all the greatness, all the industrial uh, industrial growth, the industrial machine that the United States was fathering. The tares were being sown. And they were being sown with the establishment of the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve Bank on December 23rd, 1913. Two days before Christmas. You see, President Wilson asked advice from Carter Glass and H. Parker Willis, the fathers of Glass of the Glass-Willis proposal, which was passed as a decentralized central bank that balanced the competing interest of private banks and populist sentiment. Now, remember, private banks. But why December 23rd, 2013? Well, timing is everything, as they say, for the establishment of the Federal Reserve Bank was passed. Why? Because most congressional members were away on Christmas holidays. And what else was happening? The winds of war in Europe were swirling. Now, it's very interesting to note in the Federal Reserve Education.org of the following events. November 16, 1914, the 12 cities, the 12 cities were chosen and opened as regionalized reserve banks in the United States while Europe was three months into the First World War. The Federal Reserve policy from 1914 to 19 was that the U.S. added the flow of trade goods to Europe, helping finance until 1917 when the United States declared war on Germany and financed our war effort. The war was over and L. Benjamin Strong, governor of the New York Fed from 1914 to 1928, was the instrumental force behind using gold as a central factor in controlling credit. Under his purchasing power, a large purchase of government securities were purchased as thus began the open market operations as a monetary policy tool. And I want you to remember that Ben Strong, Benjamin Strong, governor of the New York Fed, 1914 to 1948, was the inter- instrumental force behind using gold as a central factor in controlling credit. Uh, I want you to keep this in mind and why? Because we're going to come up where President Franklin Roosevelt called in the gold. Just keep in mind. 
while the rapid growth of the Federal Reserve Bank in the U.S. Mr. Strong promoted relations with other central banks, especially the Bank of England. Mr. Strong, who ran the Federal Reserve during his tenure, introduced what they call fatal conceit in modern economics. What is that? Fatal conceit. It's when economics or economists, politicians, and central bankers think they think they can plan, they can direct, and they can guide the economy through their great wisdom and application of their economic models. Sounds familiar today? Fatal conceit? Econom, uh, economist? Politicians? And central bankers? But here's the other side. Economist Frederick Hayek explained the central planner's arrogance ignores the knowledge problem. No individuals or groups of individuals, no matter how many PhDs they have, possess the knowledge necessary to foresee all of the consequences of a given policy. Now, this was quoted from uh, shiftgold.com, guest commentaries, the story of Benjamin Strong, how fatal conceit wrecks econom economies. So, when reading this article, please read it in entirety, for here is the introduction of easy money or low interest rates. Well, we had that for quite a few years. And now the interest rates have more than doubled. And inflation is still running rampant. So interesting to note the following from the above article. Williams Jennings Ryan, who is President Wilson's Secretary of State, strongly cautioned President Wilson against allowing American banks to loan money to belligerents on either side. Bryant knew that once bankers' money was at stake in the outcome of the war, America would eventually be forced to enter the war to protect whom? The banker's interest. And that's what happened. The banker's interest. These are the big banks. Again, timing's everything, for England owed a great deal of money to the U.S., from World War I, and they weren't able to pay their debts. The English pound was plummeting and something had to be done. It's also interesting to note the correspondence between Bernard Strong and Secretary of State Andrew Mellon in May 1924, as Strong told Mellon, he was pursuing a readjustment to benefit England, the readjustment required Strong to pursue a policy of inflation in the U.S. and thus keep Britain from having to raise interest rates. Again, sounds familiar? Inflation? Now, this is Strong's own words. The burden of this readjustment must fall more largely upon us than upon them. 
Great Britain. It will be difficult politically and socially for the British government and the Bank of England to face a price liquidation in England in face of the fact that their trade is poor and they have over a million unemployed receiving government aid. That's a quote from Murray Rothbard, America's Great Depression, 5th edition. Ah, public? Now, in secret, Strong and his counterpart, Montague Norman of the Bank of England, decided to make the dollar weaker in order to make the pound stronger. This plan went on for three years with fatal results in, to England. Thus, a meeting of the world's central bank leaders was held in Long Island in July of 27 to have all central bank leaders implement the same policy of providing easy money to help Great Britain. So when one fails, we'll bring in everybody to make sure that we get this problem straightened out. And if it fails, then everybody's at stake. Okay, well, what about President Coolidge? Where does he fit? President Coolidge took office in 23 after a heart attack by then-President Warren Harding. President Coolidge was known as Silent Cal, saying less and aligning with big business and big bankers, such as Andrew Mellon, his Secretary of the Treasury. Big business, big bankers. Hmm. Again, sounds familiar. Big business, big bankers. President Coolidge succeeded in reducing income tax and estate tax. But he added to the woes of the American farmer. Can't say that we've had that, except that we have more woes to the American farmer. As many other businesses were prospering, farmers were not and needed help in their endeavors. Twice Congress passed the McNary-Hogan bill asking for the federal government to purchase surplus crops. And twice President Coolidge vetoed the bill. A knowing to those coming up in the Roaring Twenties, this was a good time to be an American. For the GDP grew, and it grew greatly. Jobs were abundant, and unemployment was under 4%. The total wealth had doubled from 1920 to 1929, and the stock market was booming from individual investing. So for nine years, the good times rolled. But like cracks in a dam, the water began oozing out, and the cracks they became bigger and bigger. But why? Companies became overextended. Companies became bankrupt. Hmm. Consumer debt increased greatly. Various financial markets joined in to the stock market frenzy. 
Buyers did little or no research on companies they were buying, and they bought shares on margin. On margin. Not realizing if the stock fell, you know what would happen? They would have to pay for the full amount of the stock. You see, many Americans were actually gambling with their future by playing the stock market because that was the quickest way to get rich without doing any work. But did they check out the company that they were buying full shares? And was the company's earnings justifying the price of the stock or were the prices inflated? Nineteen twenty nine. Was this when the house of cards would crumble? Nineteen twenty nine, the roaring twenties were coming to an end. And what an end. For until that faithful month in October of nineteen twenty nine, the stock market kept rising and rising and rising. And making easy money was just that easy. And that's the Great Depression, part one. I hope that you enjoy the framework of the Great Depression, as well as reaching analogies of where we stand today as well as giving you some insight on what our forefathers went through on the Roaring Twenties to when the bow breaks. And in October of 29, the bow broke. So the question is, is it possible that we could see another bow breaking. I certainly hope that you enjoyed this particular lesson economically. We'll go into part two next and give you some more insight. I ask if you would to go to my website, understandinggodslaws.com. And if you have a comment to make, please feel free to make it there. Or you can reach me at my website or at my email, uh, jjc0412 at bellsouth.net. So have a great day, and I look forward to the next lesson.